Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub, COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. Series 7, Session 1, it's Thursday the 7th of October 2021. Welcome back. This session is titled Beyond 80% Fully Vaccinated, Primary Care Through the Crystal Ball. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways from which we're all zooming in from today. We recognise their diversity, resilience and the ongoing place that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people hold in our communities. And we pay our respects to elders both past and present and commit to working together in the spirit of mutual understanding, respect and reconciliation. And I wish to extend that respect to any Aboriginal people connecting in today. All right, well, welcome to the seventh cohort series for Project ECHO Pandemic Response Network. And this week, LGAs across the Westwick PHN hit the incredible milestone of, on average, 88.5% first dose vaccination coverage by Monday, which is about 5% ahead of the state average. This provides us with the confidence that we are going to um, uh, peak into the um, post 80% double dose crystal ball in our region and perhaps the post 90% coverage too. In this series over the coming months, we'll be having conversations about the work of bringing our communities across the line in regards to achieving ambitious vaccine milestones. We'll be exploring the changes in public health and social distancing and trace, test, isolate and quarantine strategies as we move further along in the national plan and our outbreak status. And we'll be rapidly moving into COVID positive care education as our role in primary care shifts into monitoring COVID care and in the community. And as always, we'll be inviting participants to bring cases for discussion, share issues, challenges and struggles and pain points in the spirit of action orientated peer learning. So thanks again for joining us in this community of practice. So today our content pushes will bring a number of updates from our three of our key themes and we'll be asking our uh, experts the following questions. The vaccine rollout, milestones and mandates. What is the GP role? Public health restrictions and measures, what needs to change in the primary care workforce to prepare for increased community transmission? Outbreak response, trace, test and isolate and quarantine strategy felt, I guess, by primary care as the dreaded furlough. Uh, how will the Department of Health and PHUs work with primary care to minimise the impact of furloughing and enable sustainable service delivery? And in our regular GP case discussions, which we'll hope to be bringing more of these back through the coming weeks, we'll be bringing up the topic of COVID care in the community and asking the questions, what will our role in primary care be across the regions? How will we be working with the public health units, ED and infectious diseases teams? And what do we need to be thinking about at this time in regards to preparing ourselves for this role? All right, so we'll move on to the agenda. Um, it's going to be another very exciting agenda. We're joined by Rowena Cliff, Westwick PHN CEO, um, Kate Graham, GP Clinical Editor of Health Pathways and the COVID Clinical Advisor for Westwick PHN. I'm going to quickly pop up a few um, shots of some data prior to handing over to Rosemary Aldridge. Um, thanks, Rosemary, for commenting on the data, um, but also to provide us that update, um, outbreak update, and um, to look in, peer into that crystal ball for us and tell us what she sees kind of coming up ahead, best and worst case scenarios. Um, thanks to Jared Ingham for joining us again. Jared's going to um, 
put that call to action of how we're going to manage COVID in the community. And he's from Springs Medical Centre, Dalesford. And uh, Linda Govan will wrap it up, uh, letting us know about what's happening in the PHN space in regards to resources and supports. Um, and we are joined, we'll be joined after eight um, by uh, Dr. Carolyn Bartolo, infectious diseases physician from Bowen Health and Bowen Southwest Public Health Unit to be um, really present with us for the discussion about COVID care. All right, so with that, um, I'll hand over to you, Rowena. Thank you. Thank you, Bianca. And um, yes, congratulations. We've got some wonderful results in Western Victoria, so we should all be very happy. But interestingly, last night I heard some results by like smaller postcodes. So places like Branksome, and if you don't know where it is, you know, pop on Google Maps, um, 76 first dose and 49 second dose. So there are still pockets of our communities that won't be vaccinated. And we've got some work to do to ensure that last 10% um, do get vaccinated. The other thing that we're looking at at the moment is obviously the public health orders for healthcare workers to uh, mandatory vaccination as much as one can mandate vaccination. So I really um, say to you, make sure you keep up to date with our messaging around what's happening in the mandated vaccination space, particularly for healthcare workers. Um, the focus, there is no doubt, is on COVID care in the community. And I know Rosemary and Kate can speak to this far more, but pretty much both state and Commonwealth are focusing now on how we will care for COVID positive patients in the community. Um, and I think you'll start to see a swing from the health services a little bit towards COVID care in the community and vaccination um, happening within primary care. Um, we're advocating very strongly with the state government about the furlough rules and how they apply to GPs. And I was promised this week, it's something should come out this week. So we're hoping that we have clearer um, information on that. So. I just want to say again, thank you for everything you're doing. The team, we have got a um, survey out at the moment. We're keen to understand how GPs are happy to be involved in our uh, in care of patients in the community. But I think this morning is a really good opportunity for you to feed back and say, well, what would I need to be able to do that? How can Western Victoria PHN support you um, with that care in the community? But definitely, I would say the next three months, we're gonna to shift to a focus on this. So again, thank you and thanks, Bianca. Thanks very much, Rowena. Over to you, Kate. Good morning, everyone. I think we're, we are moving towards a different sort of world in terms of COVID management. I'll just get you to pop up the slides, Gemma. So in terms of new changes, we've had a, a couple of new changes out recently um, since we last met. So, I mean, we've had a lot of changes in our region since we last met. We've had a couple of lockdowns um, and we've had record numbers and a number of outbreaks in sensitive settings. Um, but the vaccine numbers are so reassuring within our regions. And I think that's something that we really want to keep working on. So mandatory vaccinations um, in workforces and within our own workplaces are something that's really um, needed to be looked at um, and the implications for your own workplaces. There's guidance available and um, that's linked in on Health Pathways and it'll be um, referenced in the chat as well. Um, the dose interval recommendations have been changed again at a state level with for Pfizer particularly. Um, that's dropped down to three weeks again for Pfizer. 
four weeks for Moderna and six weeks for AstraZeneca. There's the wide eligibility for all vaccination types. Now, for the over 60s, for Pfizer and Moderna particularly, meaning that we've got um, the ability to vaccinate a number of people who did have that vaccination reluctance. Uh, medical exemptions are becoming more of an issue for um, a number of people with that mandatory vaccination. There's only a limited number of reasons uh, for medical exemptions. Um, some of them would involve the sort of reactions or things that have happened to people um, such as the myocarditis, pericarditis issues where vaccinations um, recommended to be delayed. It would be rare for an anaphylaxis reaction to require a medical exemption to all vaccination types. Um, and for anything other than anaphylaxis, an exemption is a time-limited um, exemption and you're required to sign it off. So the people who are allowed to sign off medical exemptions are general practitioners, general practitioner registrars and non-vocationally registered general practitioners, as well as a number of other specialists in areas, so infectious diseases physicians. There's a link um, in the slides that'll be provided. Um, so just onto the next slide. So changes for COVID, the chain, there are significant changes in the overall aims for regional versus metro and um, in terms of primary care goals at this point. And I know that Rosemary will speak more towards this. Um, one of the main changes for patients is that they'll be getting text message notifications of their positive result. And that initial text message notification will involve some questions uh, related to being able to triage the initial phone call that they'll receive. Um, our LPHUs have sort of capacity to be making those phone calls quickly. Um, we're at really encouraged sort of testing facilities, GP respiratory clinics um, to be really cautious and wary is if you're testing people who may be from out of region or have an address that doesn't fall within our LPHUs um, because they're the people who are sort of at risk of having their initial phone calls or follow-up be a little bit delayed at the moment because there are delays in the Melbourne metro system. Um, clearance of cases and primary care, uh, primary, not primary care, I'm so used to primary care in the primary care environment, primary close contacts at the moment has also changed in that that process is more automated at the moment. So cases are cleared now at 14 days following the onset of symptoms, or if they're asymptomatic, it's 14 days following the collection of the specimen. Um, and that's a significant sort of change from previously where it had to sort of be a formal clearance from the department. Um, so the guidance on that hasn't yet been updated on the website. There's um, significant sort of delays in updating guidance on the Department of Health website. Um, so if you're waiting for clearance um, of patients, that's something to be aware of. Um, the furlough matrix for um, GPs and primary care is something that everyone has been waiting for. And we've been waiting for this for a long time, but it is imminent. I can reassure you that hopefully, well, hopefully 
as anything can be hopeful. Um, it should be being signed off today by the Chief Health Officer and be released tomorrow. Um, I've seen it. I've consulted on it. Um, it is in process and along with a number of other workplace guidances, it will be um, put in place, um, be put out and have a feedback process um, and be put out and have an iterative process in that if it's not working, we'll look at it again and again and again um, through the Department of Health because we want to have something that works for workplaces, works for safety. Um, but I think already we are seeing changes to the way that workplaces are being managed. Um, and the cleaning guidelines for workplaces is something that I really wanted to flag for primary care as well that has changed in the past sort of two and a half weeks as well. Um, that's now recommending that cleaning um, occurs in a manner that doesn't change with the um, Victorian Health Service um, guidelines um, in terms of risk level. Um, it just occurs at a twice daily cleaning of um, touch points and high risk areas, regardless of risk level. And if that is occurring, you're really reducing your risk significantly of requiring a deep clean. And that's something that is really going to reduce your risk of shutting down at all. Um, so that's something that I'd encourage all practices to have a look at. The other key changes are in COVID management, and that's going to be really important for primary care, particularly if you're the first person to get that positive result for a patient, um, because it's time important, particularly if it's Trovimab, um, because that needs to be instigated within five days of symptom onset. And as we know, some patients sit on their symptoms for a few days. If we've got delays within the testing system, which, as we know, are occurring in some situations, um, we need to get onto that quickly because it can, in the um, population who are at risk. So, citrovimab so is used in a non hospitalized, non oxygen requiring population, generally not in fully vaccinated populations unless they're immunosuppressed, but they're people who have other risk factors for sort of escalation of disease. Um, so there's a lot, there's a link in there to the clinical evidence task force guidelines. Um, and so it will reduce hospitalization by up to 85%. It's such an effective treatment. And it's something that we really need to look at um, making part of our routine um, recommendations. And so this is something that I'll ask Rosemary to sort of have a chat about as to how we access within our region and Carolyn as well when she comes on board. Um, but something in primary care as well that's really simple, really easy to access is budesonide. Um, and this has been added to the task force guidelines as well, inhaled budesonide for the treatment of symptomatic COVID-19 in adults who don't require oxygen. So that's probably all from um, those slides. Um, the Melbourne, um, the MCRI Vaccine Education Centre resources are fantastic. Um, it's where I go for all the um, sort of specialist immunisation service um, sort of referral notes, all those kind of things now, because it's the best place where they're most updated, because it's where they're centrally coordinated from. 
Um, and as a flag for that, they'll be changing their referral process as of Monday to a centralised process. So the direct emails um, sort of through to the Barwon CIS clinic won't be active um, anymore. So you'll have to go through to this centralised service. Um, I'm sure that if you email Barwon, they'll um, resend that back through for a little while. I'm sure there'll be a transition period for people who don't get this messaging. Um, but they've got a whole series of other resources available there. So I'd really recommend that you keep up with that. Um, and as always, um, check out the Health Pathways. Um, there'll be a few updates that are just still pending at the moment with some of that new information. So that should come through later today or tomorrow. So that's all from me. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kate. So there's, um, that was a very um, link-rich presentation. We've put all those links in the chat if you want to jump on them now. And as always, they'll all come out in our post-session um, email. Thanks so much, Kate. What a, um, now, please do send questions. There's a lot of new changes. Pop questions in the chat for Kate. Um, Kate, um, we might end up doing a rapid fire. Just let me know how you're going with questions in the chat as we go through the session. Um, so I might bring you back on for a rapid fire feedback um, near the end. Otherwise, do keep putting questions in the chat. Um, there's been quite a few changes. Um, I spoke to Callum Maggs, who's the Vixis clinical lead uh, this week about what to do with the, those people coming in wanting those medical exemption letters due to that strict criteria really of course as you would imagine Vixis can only provide those letters for you know existing clients so clients that they saw because of those those strict criteria around anaphylaxis so new referrals asking for medical exemptions to Vixis won't be um won't be provided they won't accept those um but I guess if someone does say that they've got uh, you know a significant um issue um you know a letter to Vixis and saying, well, why don't you go and see Vixis might end up kind of being a, a, a way of, um, you know, managing that one if, if it doesn't uh, sound like it's something you can sign off on. So um, anyway, more information about those guidelines in the chat. All right, um, now we're going to move on to um, our public health unit update. I just wanted to pop in front of you. Um, of course, we get the data about the LGA vaccine um, rates and uh, here's the summary for the uh, Grampians regions. Very impressive first dose numbers. And Rosemary, I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts about, you know, this crystal ball of where we're going. And I can see this by next week, looking at like first doses over 90%. As Rowena mentioned, there are pockets. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts about where we need to really be thinking about pockets. Um, but when progressing very quickly, if you look at the second dose, you know, when do we think we'll be hitting 70%? Certainly fills me with a little more confidence. Um, and uh, if you go to the next one, um, the, the, the new world is already there for Queenscliff already hitting yellow on the na national vaccine targets of above 80% double dosed and above 70% uh, for the surf coast. So um, it's good to see we're trending in that direction and uh, hitting those above 95% rates. So I'm wondering, you know, what would be the golden number if we were to be really ambitious, Rosemary, you know, where do we want to see ourselves from a, uh, you know, population coverage we're not talking about herd immunity anymore but what numbers might we um, set as a vac uh, vaccine ambitious milestone targets for ourselves as a region over to you thanks very much uh and welcome back everybody after a short hiatus it's good to be back and um i really value that bianca includes uh the public health unit in these conversations because all along in our response with COVID, especially this year since we've had a vaccine um, we really are a whole of asset approach in as much as every health asset in our community 
um, especially in primary care with pharmacies and other primary care teams, and especially, uh, and then of course backed up as we've needed to with respect to the health services and the work that health services have done in distributing state vaccine, which in the Grampians region has been about equivalent with respect to the numbers of doses given in primary care and in um, health settings. Uh, that may change actually, and primary care I think will have the lion's share of the um, of the vaccinations going forward because, as you know, in our health settings, we've been um, still giving uh, AstraZeneca, and now that Pfizer and Moderna are available um, to people over the age of 60 in primary care, I think that AstraZeneca and its time has passed, even though we know it's a very efficacious and safe um, vaccine. So essentially in the Grampians region, as of yesterday, we've done 136,000 vaccinations in the public system. And as I know, we've matched that easily in the primary care system. So we're looking at nearly 300,000 vaccinations in just six months, which is an extraordinary achievement. Absolutely amazing. Whoever really thought we could do it, but um, you know, because of the team and because of everybody's commitment to it, we have done. So I thank Kate for predicating some of the changes that are already in place with respect to the contact tracing and risk approach. Uh, another one that's particularly significant for, I think, rural communities where uh, rural and regional communities, because they're smaller, seem to have a more acute awareness of what's going on in their community, is that we're changing the way we talk about our exposure sites. So you might have heard um, Brett Sutton on Monday say that T2 exposure sites will no longer be published on the state website. And the reason for that is that as we move towards a COVID living, you know, living with COVID environment, if we, actually, if we thought about it, with so many people who are going to be in the community with COVID, if we thought about actually calling everywhere they've been a T2 site and asking people to go home, get tested and isolate until they get a negative result, then as soon as someone leaves their home, having emerged from that, they'll be quarantined again because they'll go to another exposure site, which will require the same response. So clearly that's untenable. So now we're becoming much more risk nuanced in what we do and really looking at those environments where we've had likely direct contact with someone with COVID and then putting our rings of protection around that. And this is meaningful in primary care where uh, because of the um, you know, very high awareness in primary care and its strict adherence to um, tier three PPE where they've needed to. And I also await the, the health matrix for uh, primary care. I know that in uh, hospital settings, um, essentially you know, direct contact with somebody, close contact with somebody, but in a staff member wearing a surgical mask and surgical eyewear, is uh, considered only a moderate risk to that staff person. So that's that's certainly become more pragmatic and more risk informed with respect to what that means. So I imagine that will be reflected in some measure in primary care also. Uh, essentially with those tier one sites, we'll still be looking at sensitive settings where we are expected to see people who, even if they've been vaccinated, may not have the capacity to protect themselves, such as aged care, disability care, where we'll be going very hard on ensuring that if there is an exposure, that we're making sure that um, potentially the person who's a case in residential care will still have that protection around them and the staff will still have protections around them, but it may make a difference as to how we um, triage and the actions we take. So that's emerging clearly in regional and rural Victoria because we have relatively had so few cases. Um, we are also um, especially working now uh, to um, work, work out a process is, uh, around how somebody gets triaged for whether or not they're eligible for citrovimab, which 
has to be given as an infusion in hospital. And so uh, what we're working on here in the Grampians, where we haven't really had a whole health system um, approach to looking after people with COVID because the most part our numbers have meant that our own hospitals, hospital in the home programs have been able to cope with that. So here in, the, in Ballarat, and it's happening across the Grampians also, we're looking at a whole of healthcare um, pathway, not dissimilar to the COVID positive pathways that we know have been operating very well in metropolitan Melbourne, where for the most part, um, independent agencies have taken um, carriage of uh, caring for people with COVID in the community. Um, so we'll have, some, we'll have a mechanism for PHU finds out about a case somehow, and there's a number of different ways we find out about a case. That, that person is referred to a triage process locally, and um, and particularly ID will have an, have an, a role in that triage process to determine that eligibility for Stravimab. And then uh, the person will be considered either high needs, high care needs, moderate care needs, um, or low care needs. This is what's happening elsewhere. So I'm not actually driving this. The clinicians are driving this particular process. So please um, don't, don't uh, hold me up against a tree if I, I'm not saying this precisely because this is in process now. And Karen Ahrens, who's one of our public health unit consultants, who, as you all know, a well-known general practitioner who has been looking after COVID patients since the beginning of last year as the medical director of the Jerry Warrant Hospital and the Health Home Program. She's uh, um, much more expert around this and she's the PHU um, contribution to that process. So this is going to be worked out with clinicians, but also there, of course, is our primary health network is involved in that. And we'll be seeking to have other input from GPs about how this is going to work also. So essentially high care, moderate care, low care. For the most part, high care will mean um, an ID physician will be involved at the start, I imagine. Um, moderate care will mean that it will likely be more attached to a hospital in the home program where a person can be monitored daily and potentially have an oximeter with them. And then the, the lower care needs or the lower risk needs may well be where primary care teams come in. And obviously, it's very good medicine for primary care teams to be involved in the care of their own patients, given that they will know them best. But the other thing that will be important for our GPs to know is that there will always be a phone call away, a, a clinician who's expert in this, who, that, who can be contacted. And indeed, um, Aaron Block, who's one of my colleagues who you know has been here before, is an ID physician at Ballarat Health Services. He's also part of the public health unit team. And uh, in, in Ballarat for a long time, in the Grampians region, since the start, really, we've had a COVID ID physician on call, um, and uh, certainly clinicians in the Grampians region have been able to call that person with concerns. It hasn't, hasn't needed to happen that way because we've had so few cases so far. So let me just tell you what I think is going to happen in the last minute or two that I have. Um, jo uh, I understand Jerome Weiler said yesterday that the 17th of October is when we hit 70% average across the state. And that will trigger some opening up and it will, I think, only be a matter of time or, of course, it's only a matter of time until we then reach the 80%. But we'll see, I think, in my view, a rapid, a rapid spread of COVID. We're already looking at 1,500 cases a day. We know how rapidly Delta spreads. There's probably undetected spread in large population centres already. So we'll see a rapid spread of COVID. And uh, for a whole lot of reasons, the public health units will be most involved in identifying who they are, in having them refer into processes. And, uh, and essentially a person with COVID will be told to just stay home. And as Kate's already said, stay home for 14 days. And uh, when, as more people, as the pool of people who become 
infected with COVID increases by way of people being already vaccinated, obviously more of those will have mild disease, but some of them will be significantly unwell. And of course, all of us are worried about the ones who are not yet vaccinated. So there's a lot more to say about this. It is evolving. It's happening soon. It'll, it'll happen either very rapidly or more slowly than we expect, which is pretty much the limits of um, you know, what I can forecast. So more slowly or more rapidly than we expect. However, I think it's inevitable that a person will either get vaccinated or get COVID. And if they get vaccinated, as we know, they can still get COVID and still spread it, which is why we're concerned. But also, I think we believe that we've got the, especially the primary care assets and the hospital assets to manage this as a community, provided we are working as if we are one organisation, one team serving one community. Thanks, Rosemary. Now I know you've got to duck off, so we'll hold questions, but um, please do pop questions in the chat and um, we can um, pick them up next week. Thank you so much for your time and um, and we'll um, we'll keep the conversation going. And also thank you for um, um, describing the design processes, including GPs, because I think that no doubt has made people feel um, reassured that we'll be part of that planning. Yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, can I just say that um, as, as I said, I'm not part of that process, so it may look slightly different, but importantly, primary care teams and, of course, our Aboriginal community control organisations will also be involved in that consultation because, uh, you know, we have very vulnerable people across our whole community. So it's important that the people who, are, who know them best are involved in that process, which, of course, is our um, general practice teams. Thanks very much, Bianca. Thank you. Thanks, Rosemary. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. All right, now um, I'm just, we're having trouble getting Caroline Bartolo in the room, um, Gemma, and I just want to check that she's here before we launch. Um, so Caroline's uh, infectious disease physician who will join us and um, being an ID physician across Ballarat and um, Barwon, um, we'll have a little bit more understanding about some of those pathways as Rosemary described. So I'm very keen for her um, to be here today to answer any questions. And it uh, looks like Gemma's bringing her in. So that concludes the panel presentation for this session. We'll bring you any other snippets that we can, but come along and join the discussion next week. I'd like to hand over now to Linda Govan um, to then just wrap it up for us and let us know about the role of the pub, um, primary health networks. Thank you, Caroline. Thanks, Thanks Linda. Thanks, Bianca. Good morning, everybody. Um, I guess just in regards to Karen and the um, survey for GPs, that the link in, was in the chat earlier. I'm going to take you a little bit back into the vaccination space. Um, we've got two EOIs out, or one, one's coming out today, um, but we've got two really targeting uh, vaccinations for the vulnerable populations trying to, to get the, the numbers up. So we've got a, um, the first one, which came out last Friday, it's um, for in-home COVID-19 vaccinations for vulnerable populations. It's for, um, whether it's for people living in aged care, a residential disability or a person's place of residence. So it's on top of the, the current MBS items that are available. We've just got some incentive payments um, to hopefully attract some, some GPs who might be interested in taking this on. Over the last few months, there's always um, a few phone calls to the PHN and, and um, for people looking for different ways to access vaccination. So I've got this EOI out, closes on Friday. If you haven't seen it, um, send an email to the COVID-19 inquiry line and I'll make sure that, that an um, application or information about the tender is sent to you. Um, we also have an EOI coming out today, both one 
specifically for the Grampians one for the Bar and Southwest. Again, it's around maximising access to vaccinations for vulnerable populations, just a slightly different approach, a $1,500 grant for practices. If they're thinking about doing any sort, sort of pop-up work or after hours work, I appreciate you've probably already been doing this, but again, it's just an incentive to, to really target vulnerable populations that will close next Thursday. That's being sent out today. And option B, just a one-off $500 payment for any practice who currently isn't ordering up to their full Pfizer allocation because they're not sure that they can get through it. We ask you to order up to it and we'll transfer that to whichever um, public health unit um, region that you're in and they will distribute that in the in into the to the most vulnerable um, areas as well. That's that came up with a conversation with Grampians a, a couple of weeks ago just with concern around access to Pfizer. So we thought well that's a way to make sure we've got enough um, or enough Pfizer happening in or available in our region. So there are two EOIs and just um, just pop some Aboriginal um, vaccination data in for, for you today, just out of interest. We had a query from Barwon Health about where um, the Aboriginal population was accessing vaccination. So as you can see, this is for across the whole of the West Vic PHN. Um, just interesting to see that the majority are seeing their GP for vaccinations, which is really um, interesting data. So just pop that in there for interest in regards to the data that we currently have for dose one. Again, this is for the, for the entire region. For all Aboriginal people, 77.3% have received their first dose, 85.6% um, aged over 45, that being the most vulnerable population, have received their first dose, which is great. And that's pretty much equates to what we're seeing in, in the general population. What we're seeing though in the younger age group, still some lag sitting at 68.9% um, from the 16 to 24 um, age group. So still some work to be done there, but I thought that's um, just some interesting data to see today. And finally, um, from just uh, our COVID team, we still are available if practices are having trouble um, using their excess AstraZeneca doses or if they're needing Pfizer, just give us a, an email at our COVID inquiry email and we can help assist you in either getting more Pfizer or distributing it elsewhere as well as AstraZeneca, which is coming becoming a little bit more problematic, but the Commonwealth are working on a process for managing excess stock more centrally. Um, thank you, that's all, thanks Bianca. All right, thank you. Thanks, Linda. Do take the time to scan our evaluation. Um, there's a space for you to put questions um, to us, suggestions about um, topics, or not topics, uh, how you'd like COVID care education to come to you and particular areas that you think are important to um, address. Um, all these sessions are accredited. So if we've got your details, we'll put in your points. Um, and uh, get, we'll go to the next slide. Uh, we'll send you out an email in a couple of days as we do. So we put this together as a podcast we take written notes, all the links mentioned, and there's a huge amount today will come to you via email. Um, do share these sessions with colleagues. Let us let them know what you've heard and do encourage colleagues to come along. We'll crack into COVID care uh, for this series. I think that's where we're heading. So thanks. And as always, it always comes, uh, it's, a, it's an iterative process. So if you bring me cases, if you're managing COVID, I'd really like to know about it because case discussions are the best way for us to really get our head around um, uh, these processes um, and uh, management um, in, in a bit more depth. So thank you. Thanks for all of those of you who contributed this morning and for all of the um, questions in the chat. We'll now process all of that and we'll be back with you uh, next week. Thanks everyone and take care. This series was brought to you by the West Vic PHN. 
I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. I'd like to acknowledge the work of Gemma Misbach, Natalie Love, Fiona Quigley, Matt Dixon and Kate Graham for their work in coordination, support and contribution to this series. These audio catch-ups are produced by Gemma Misbach, myself and Jade Buller. Come along and join the discussions on Thursday mornings at 7.30am via Zoom. You can register on the West Vic PHN website by looking up Project Echo COVID-19. All sessions are RACGP and ACRAM accredited as a time-based activity and CPD certificates are available for non-GP participants. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.